guys ready for the word this morning? Take your seats and open your hearts up. Hey, you like that song, don't you? A couple of months ago, well, I don't know how long, a month or so ago, um, a group of men from your church went to Harvest in Oakville, Canada, and that's where we heard that song for the first time. And, uh, and it was the Free Indeed Men's Conference. And the, and the message and the, the intent of the entire weekend was John eight thirty six, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I want to say this right now. I know there are some of you right now that question whether or not you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe. The Lord intends for you to wrestle over that truth. Am I really saved? But here's what I believe. Based on what Scripture has to say, you are redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe that you are a sinner, that He went to the cross, He gave Himself to cover your sin, both past, present, and future. If you believe in the moment that he, that he opened your eyes to that truth and the Holy Spirit rushed upon you and marked you and sealed you as His own, then you are saved. You're saved. And it's so appropriate right now that we are in Ephesians because... It declares the truth of our salvation. God, what the work God did for us at the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it didn't stop there. His Holy Spirit has marked you as His own, and He is continuing His gospel work in your heart even today. So please don't lose heart. Don't question your faith. Embrace the truth of who Jesus Christ is and be confident in your salvation, church. I learned something from my uh, Canadian brothers um, as they get up and as they preach. Before they preach, they kneel before their church as they pray. And I think that's a spectacular expression on their part of men that are humble before the Lord. And so I'm going to do that. And I'm asking church that you pray with me. Lord, we use the word church carelessly. Lord, we've made church this thing on Sunday morning. Please forgive us for that. Lord, we are your family. We are your children. We are the church because of who you are and because of what you did for us. Lord, may we not ever lose sight of the truth that you are our Father. Jesus, you are our Lord. And that we are brothers and sisters in you that you've called together to lift high your name in worship. To be an encouragement to each other. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. And as we open it now, I'm asking, I'm asking, Lord, that you would stand between me and your church. I pray, Lord, that they would hear your word, that they would not be distracted by the deliverer, that they would not be moved by the one that delivers it, but, Lord Jesus, that they would hear your word spoken. 
and only your words. May your kingdom come and your will be done in the life of this church, I pray. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're going to turn to Ephesians um, chapter 4, but before we get there, um, I want to provide us some, some what, I, what I would like to call redemption reminders that come from chapters 1 th- through 3. So some key truths that we need to constantly keep in the forefront of our mind. Remember this, as Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, and it was handed to the leadership of the church, it was read to the church. It wasn't, it wasn't chapter 1 was read, and then next week chapter 2 was read, and then next week chapter 3 was read. That's not the way it was. It was, it was first word from the beginning to the last word of the letter, read to the church. And so it was intended that they would hear it all in one setting. So I want to make sure we have some reminders in front of us. I'd like to call them redemption reminders. And for you outliners, I'm, you know what, I'm going to follow Jasper's lead from last week. I don't have an outline for you that's going to be on the screens. And uh, so you're going to have to fill in your blank sheet with the words that the Lord would have you write down as reminders for you in the future. So here we go, okay? Chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 1 declares this, this truth, according to his predetermined plan, God chose us, he chose you before the foundation of the world that we, that we together would be holy and blameless before him. It's an amazing truth, church, that he would do that with us and for us. At the moment of salvation, the moment of his predetermined plan where he would rush upon you with the truth of the gospel, he marked you and he sealed you with his Holy Spirit declaring forever with the mark of the Holy Spirit in you or that you are in you that you are his from now until forevermore and into eternity sealing us with his holy spirit chapter 2 declares this that church before relationship with Jesus Christ we are were dead in trespasses and sins not just in your trespasses and sins but you were dead we were dead in trespasses and sins not able to make one choice, not able to make one choice to make one step toward the person of Jesus Christ. But while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, out of his great love for us, Jesus acted. And that's when he went to the cross. And he made us alive together. And he gifted us with our faith, which is an expression of his mighty and powerful grace. That's what Jesus has done for us, and we see it in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we also see this amazing truth that what once was only accessible to Israel, to Jewish people, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, and we Gentiles have been been given access through the, the dividing wall being broken down, giving us access to relationship with Jesus Christ and with each other. There's no longer a dividing wall. Chapter 3 Um, A a mystery is demystified through the work on the cross that the Gentiles, again, it's declared that you and me are given access to God's eternal kingdom. And then I love how Paul ends chapter 3. He ends it with a prayer. He ends it with a prayer because he knows what 4, 5, and 6 are about to say to us. So he ends with a prayer that talks about that, that, that Paul is praying that the church that the family of God would understand that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints, with each other, what is the breadth, what is the length, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
Paul wanted to make sure the church understood the greatness of who Jesus Christ is and the love that he has for his people, the church. Now, I would like to say this. Here's where many of us would be happy if the gospel message ended. Christ on the cross, we are redeemed, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let's sit down and let's bathe in and revel in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. But that's not where the gospel ends. That was the beginning of the gospel, and it continues on even now, even now in the hearts and the lives of those that he calls his family. I wish it would have ended there, and I know some of you do too, because that would mean there's no work left. There's nothing. I don't like the word work, and I don't think many of you like the word work either. But that's not where it ends. Not with us sitting at the foot of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his cross, reveling in who he is. It takes us further. Remember the love of Christ. Remember the greatness of the love of Christ as we move on into chapter 4. And we have. But you have that prayer by the Apostle Paul, and now you have the beginning um, of chapters 4, 5, and 6 starting like this. Therefore, because of everything you just heard, because of the love of Christ and what he did for you on the cross, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, this is what I want to do. I want to urge you, church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I want you to do that with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's the beginning of chapter 4. And it sends us into three chapters of some of the most practical writings in all of the book, how we are supposed to respond to who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Accepting this, that the cross was not the end, it was the beginning, that we are marked with the Holy Spirit, and now it is possible for us to do the things that Jesus Christ expects out of those he calls his children. We now have the capacity to do what he wants us to do. Keep in mind, church, lest we think that this is our effort that is producing righteousness and holiness and sanctification. It's not us. It's God at work in us now. Now. Because of his Holy Spirit in us. I'm going to borrow some some verses that Paul wrote to the Philippian church as a reminder. He says this in Philippians chapter 1, and I am sure of this, that he who began, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says again in chapter 2, for it is God who's working in you. It's him at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose and for his good pleasure. Keep in mind, this is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. And then Ephesians chapter 1, we have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things together, who works all things in accordance with the counsel of His will. There's one theme here. It's Christ at work in us. And then Ephesians chapter 2 says at the end, Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Scripture speaks for itself. It's God at work in us, created in Christ Jesus as what we have been, so that we would do the very thing that he laid out for us to do and now enables us to do because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Hey, I'd like to say as an elder, and hey, I want to have some fun right now um, with the elders since we just had this solemn assembly. Um, there's already division in the elders. It's a sad thing. Glenn's left-handed. Bjorn is left-handed. I am left-handed. Peter is right-handed. There's division. And hey, get this. The next guy we're talking to right now, guess what he is? He's left-handed. I think that's kind of fun. I was joking around with someone, and I said, do you? Okay. I got a (laughs) solemn assembly, made fun, and now let's move on. But listen, this is we started, this, we started this sermon series in Revelation chapter 2. If you remember, if you can go way back to the beginning of September, this is where we started. Our concern for the life of this church is that we be, were becoming the church of Ephesus that's written to in the book of the Revelation by John as the message was delivered to him about what some 40 years later, what the church of Ephesus was becoming or had become. They had forsaken who Jesus Christ was. They lost their love for him, and they lost their love for each other. And they became consumed with what we're supposed to do in the life of the church. Jesus commends the Ephesian church for taking seriously sin, for making sure church is happening the way it should, that people are are functioning in the church as they should, serving. But Jesus is saying this, they lost their first love. They, they, for, they forsook their love for Jesus and for each other and became consumed with what they were supposed to do. We were concerned that that was a direction that our church was heading. And so we decided to say, hey church, it's time for us to revisit who the church of Ephesus was when Paul was writing to them and saying good things to, to them about who Christ was to them and their response to him. And it's our desire, church, this is it, that our love for Christ and each other would be our highest priority, okay? That the good news of Jesus Christ would not be forsaken for the good dues required by the church. The good news is not forgotten and is fuel for us as we take care of the good dues that we are now able to do because of Jesus Christ. That's our love. That's our desire. That's our highest priority, church. The cross isn't the end. The Holy Spirit now bears witness with us as He patiently works through our lives and calls us to be sanctified. Jude, I read a second, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. This is the will of God, our sanctification. It essentially means that we would be holy. That we would be holy. Now get this, so I read, I don't remember, this isn't my definition, so it's someone else's. I, I don't remember who it was. But here's what it means to be sanctified. Sanctified means that the, that the item that is to be used, the purpose it's to be used for, when this item is put into action, it's fulfilling the very purpose, intended 
by the designer. So in other words, I see some of you wearing glasses. They are, they are sanctified in their purpose because they are helping you see more clearly. You take a drink of water. The water is satisfying your thirst. It is sanctified in its purpose. Get this right now. At the fall, man was created. We were each created in the image of God. And we were to be his image bearers. And at the fall, our intended purpose was broken. And we were not capable of bearing the image of God because we became dead the moment we sinned or that sin entered into the world. And so therefore, we needed Christ on the cross to give us the capacity to once again be image bearers of Jesus Christ. What, we're going, what we heard last week from Jasper, the things that we're to put off, knowing that Christ has done that for us, the renewal of the mind, the things that we're supposed to take on and put on right now, is God at work in us? And we're going to look at 10 verses today that speak more practically to this process. It's God at work in us, restoring us, renewing us, restoring us to our fully and completely sanctified person, image bearer of Jesus Christ. That's where we are today. That when we are fully sanctified, we are, in te- we are fulfilling the intended purpose set out before us by our designer. That we would be holy, that we would be sanctified. The fall killed us, the cross raised us, and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. And, and I know last week, if you remember Jasper, let me read his, his verses for you again, a reminder of this. As the truth is in Jesus, that's where the truth is, to put off your old self. And Jasper made it clear to us, Jesus Christ at the cross took and he dealt with our sin. He put off our old self. He put it off for us, which belonged to our former manner of life, which was corrupted by deceitful desires. And it's it's the gospel of Jesus Christ renewing our minds, bringing us to a place where we're putting on the new self after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's where we are. So think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 says, Though our outer selves... This, this, this helps clarify it for me, and so I'm hoping it does for you too. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. All right. Our spirit, what, what Jesus Christ gave us at the moment he marked us with his Holy Spirit, we stand righteous before God. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So you could say our inner self is completely sanctified because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Yet our outer self is wasting away. Our flesh, we are still attached to that. And it still wants to drag us back into the old self. And it is still not the complete... Our our outer self does not completely reflect the image of God because we're still tied to our dead flesh. Put off, renew our minds, and put on the nature of who God determined that we should be in Him is very practically spelled out in the next ten verses. 
And I'd like to call these, if you would, and so we're going we're gonna to dig into our passage now. So if you would, if you would turn to Ephesians um, chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 25. As you're turning for that, I would like to call these reflexive responses to our redemption. I didn't really mean for them all to start with R, but they did. And so that's what we're going to go with. So what is a, respl- a reflective response? Here's a reflective response. If you're standing in front of me and with all of my might, I go to punch you in the face, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to take it because, no, you're not. You're not going to take it. Your, ref- your reflective response is to get out of the way. That's a reflective, reflexive response. That should be what we are because we have the Holy Spirit in us as we hear these things. It should be our natural, reflexive response to put on the person and the likeness and the attributes, the attributes of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. My family now makes it clear to me that when they watch me with uh, my grandkids, you're just like your dad. You're just like your dad. That's the way he treats his grandkids. And you know what? I love that because I love the way my dad treats his grandkids. It's very sweet. It's a, it's a natural, it's a reflexive response for me to desire to look like my dad because I'm proud of who he is. And I would love to take that on. That's a reflexive response. As the Holy Spirit has marked us, It should be our desire, our burning desire and passion to take on the image of Jesus Christ. And so let's let's tear into this now. Reflexive responses to redemption. Let's read together. Verse 25. Therefore, you love that word. I know you love that word. Therefore, because of what he just told us, he says this. Paul says this. Having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here we go. There are, there are five or so, what I would like to call again, reflexes, reflexive responses to our redemption um, that Paul is spelling out here. But, but I'm going to start now by saying this isn't an exhaustive list. He names just a few But that doesn't speak to all of the things that Christ has given us the ability to put off and expects us to. All right? So see the framework in this as we work through this. Therefore, because Christ has put off our old self, we are now 
engaged in a process with the Holy Spirit of not returning to the old self, putting off the old self, renewing our mind with what Scripture has to say about who Christ is and what He wants from us, and then putting on the new self after the likeness of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Here's the first one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's number one. Stop deceiving, stop misleading, and start speaking the truth. Stop misleading. Stop living a life of falsehood. Stop lying. Hey, what are the forms? Let's just, let's just take a moment. What are the forms of falsehood? Straight out lying. Telling partial truths. Withholding truth. Manipulating the truth. Exaggerating the truth. These are all forms of falsehood. Why? Why do we do this? Because there's something about the truth that scares us. The truth exposes, doesn't it? When we asked, so for example, if you are asked to tell the truth about something, so in other words, hey young man, how are you doing in your battle with purity? I'm doing good. That's a falsehood. Why? Why don't we want to declare the truth? Because the truth exposes us. It could be harmful to our reputation. We want others to think we have it all together. The truth hurts sometimes when we're called to declare the truth about ourselves and who we are. I want to say this, church. We should never have anything to hide except for maybe our social security number and bank account information. We should have nothing to hide. We should be able to tell the truth about who we are, and the truth is bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is in us. The truth hurts. Hey, here's another really hard one. I want to make sure I get this one right. When asked to share the truth, that's the one we just did. When asked to tell the truth, that's the one we just did. One second. When asked to share the truth with others, the truth has potential to hurt the one you are delivering the truth to. What do you think about what I'm wearing? Over here, they would say, why haven't you rolled your, the cuffs of your pants up? Over here, you would say, why do you need to roll the cuff of your pants up? Over here, you would say, why don't you tuck your, or you should never tuck your shirt in. Over here, you would say, husbands, standing, your wife, you're about ready to go out for a date. What do you think about what I'm wearing? If you don't like what she's wearing, you are living in falsehood if you don't tell her the truth. (laughs) And look, look, it's easy enough right now to laugh about that. And I know we're coming to it, we're coming to it, but I want to say right in this moment, if the truth is not delivered with grace and patience and, and much care, you might as well not tell the truth. You might as well just withhold it and, and, and wait for a moment where you can actually deliver it as it should be delivered. Your, your, your son, your daughter asks, they just got cut from the team. Why, don't, why didn't I make the team? Well, the truth is you're not good enough to make the team. That, that's a hard truth that you know is going to hurt your child that you know your child needs to, needs to hear. Why aren't you letting me lead? Well, the truth is, you're not expressing the qualities that God desires of those that He wants to lead the church. 
hard truths need to be spoken. Now think about this. And please remember, the truth is always to be delivered hand in hand with grace. Now listen to this. Straight out lying, telling partial truths, withholding the truth, manipulating the truth, exaggerating. There are so many different ways we can mislead that we can live in falsehood, aren't there? And, I, and you know what? That's not the end. I know right now you can, you're thinking of many, many ways that you can express falsehood. falsehood. What does it mean to speak the truth? This one is easy, and we're going to keep moving. You want to know why? This is what it means to speak the truth. You tell the truth. There's no other way to tell the truth. You just tell it. And you live it. And you express it. Tell the truth. We should have nothing to hide. Real quick, late wife was in the hospital for five weeks in a coma. There were two doctors. One I loved to see, one I couldn't stand to see. The one told me what I wanted to hear. The one told me what I didn't want to hear. And what I didn't want to hear is that my wife wasn't going to make it. And he gave me the hard truth all along the way, and I couldn't stand to see him coming. But guess what? After five weeks, guess who I appreciated the most? The one who was willing to tell me the truth in the moment. Speak the truth, church. Let's speak the church. Speak the truth. Hey, in, in, in verse 25, um, if you look at that, ends with it, 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 suggesting, speaking, sharing with us that we are members one of another. We are called to share the truth with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first one. Here's the second one, and this shows you how clever I can really be, okay? Verse 26 and 27 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, look, here it is, number two. You ready for this one? Be angry and do not sin. Deal with the source quickly. You're given permission to be angry. You can put on righteous anger. But even that must be dealt with quickly. Be angry. Righteous versus unrighteous. Let's weigh out righteous anger versus versus unrighteous anger. This is righteous anger. It should be mingled with sorrow and grief over what's happening. Because it hurts the body of Christ and profanes his holy name. That would be righteous anger. Unrighteous anger, let's put it this way, it's mingled with me and what I want. It's just pure anger that will only be satisfied if I see someone else suffer and hurt. How do I know the difference? Well, ask this question of yourself. Will its expression satisfy me or will it, will it benefit Jesus Christ and his mission and his body. That's how I know the difference. And whether it's righteous anger or not, the command is still to deal with it quickly. Because even a righteous anger, if left unattended and unaddressed, will turn into bitterness. If you see someone in your life that's doing something you know they shouldn't do, and you're afraid to speak the truth, and you just keep brushing it under the rug... 20 years from now, you're going to have an eight and a half by 11, two inch thick book of offenses you have against that individual because you never addressed the righteous anger and spoke the truth. It needs to be addressed right now, right now. Anger, unrighteous anger, 
is not you shaking your fist at the person that makes you mad or the situation that makes you mad. You're shaking your fist at God because he's the one that's sanctifying you. And you're saying, I don't like what you have for me right now. I don't like what you have for me right now. You're, you're, you don't approve of what Jesus is doing for you and in you. All right? Let's go to the third one. We've got to move quick now. Let the thief no longer steal, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, be able to, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So here it is. Stop taking what is not yours and start giving what is God's. Stop taking what is not yours and start giving what is God's. I don't question in this West Michigan culture that we have a church full of people that work hard. I know you do. Even sometimes I hear you drop that very gentle gloat. Yeah, I just worked 55 hours this week. Or I never take vacation. Hey, West Michigan is a place full of people that take pride in working and working hard. And that's wonderful. That's not, that's not the question here. But to steal, simply put, simply put, means this, that you're taking something that is not yours. And keep in mind, church, nothing is really yours anyway. Your time, your treasure, and your talents have all been extended to you by God for you to steward for His glory and not for your own personal satisfaction. Here's how you steal. Here's how you steal. Let's, say, let's use in the life of the church. All right? In the life of the church, this is what happens. Some people give so generously of their financial means. They're extremely generous. They love the church and they give financially to help support the ministries of the church, yet sit and don't do anything. They're not making best use of the time the Lord has given them. He, you're stealing the time that the Lord has given you. You're not expressing it and, in, and spending it on Him. Some of you serve your guts out in the life of the church, giving of your time and your talents. Yet you don't open your pocketbook freely to give what the Lord has entrusted to you to, you, to steward financially. Two forms of stealing in the life and the body of the church. We're able to move away from this because the Holy Spirit has marked us and He is sanctifying us and He is, he is he's working it out of us that we would open-handedly Share with others the very things that God has given us. That's the third one. Stop taking what is not yours and start giving. Here's the fourth. Stop using your words to hurt and start using your words to help. Let no corrupt talk, verse 29, come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. What is corrupt talk? In the original language, Corrupt means rotten and worthless. Words spoken to others to tear them down and in turn build yourself up. Speaking in an untimely fashion. Let's go back to the first one. Living in falsehood. Speaking in a timely fashion. Is what is coming out of my mouth intended to satisfy me? Or is what, I am, what is about to come out of my mouth intended to build up the body of Christ and speak of the name of Christ. That's how you determine what corrupt talk is. What builds up? Remember, truth spoken with right motive and spoken at the right time. That's what builds the, that's what builds the body up. 
Remember, truth is always, always, always better. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Hey, listen, church, that's four. That's just four. But what I want you to do right now in your notes is I want you to, I want you to write the two words, put off, make a blank line. Put on and make a blank line. I know this is not an exhaustive list. I know it's not. So I want you to fill in your own blank. What is the very thing that Christ put off for you that you continue to run back to? Remembering He's given you the Holy Spirit to drag you away from the old self. What are those things? Is it lust? Is it desire for money, riches? Is it power, position, comfort? What is it? Here's what I know, church. And I'm going, to, I'm going to express transparency on my behalf as well as your small group leaders in this church. I know this, that many of us right now could fill that put-off blank with anxiety. I know this church is full of people that are anxious. I know it. Full of people that are anxious. What would you put in what you're supposed to put on? What would that blank be? I have an idea. When I look at this whole list, here's what I see. Someone that doesn't, someone that wants to live in falsehood, someone that gets angry easily, someone that doesn't use their words to build up. Here's what I see in that whole list. Control. Control. Anxiety is driven by your desire and your need for your life to be in your control. So why don't you put in that blank Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'm betting many of you know it. Trust in the Lord. Put off anxiety. Put off your control and trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because your own understanding is what drives your anxiety. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, in every single one, in this whole battle, as Jesus Christ is working in you by the power and the might of His Holy Spirit to take on His image, acknowledge Him in that. Acknowledge Him in the hardship of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And you know what we want to do? We want to say about the straight path, we want to say, well, that's easy because Jesus just made it straight for me. That's not what it means. It means that you have relinquished control of your life to Jesus Christ. You are okay with Him bringing things into your life that will challenge your ability to, to have righteous anger and to speak the truth in a way that is edifying to the body. Imagine it this way, and this is where we are, okay? Imagine, imagine your old self is right here in a big old trunk. It's your trunk of past fleshly treasure. It's a trunk of junk. And Jesus has put that off for you, and he's called you to walk in repentance from that thing. But you know what we like to do? Before we leave, we stuff our pockets full of these things that we think we need to have as we walk away from the old self. And we spend it, 
and we spend it, and we spend it. And you know what some of us do? Well, I didn't bring the right thing, so I'm going to run back to the old self, and I'm going to live a prodigal life for a while. I'm going to dig back into that trunk, and I'm going to enjoy myself in the flesh again until the Lord's guilt or until the Lord's conviction comes on me strong enough that He turns me and I start walking away again. That's where we are. You live a prodigal life. It's a battle for control. Hey, what grieves the Holy Spirit which seals us? What does verse 30 say? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God which, which you were sealed for on the day of redemption. This is what grieves God when we don't listen to Him in the, that first handful of verses. When we don't listen. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 also lists things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. All of this, along with malice, must be put away from you. These are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. We forsake the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in our lives. Oh, church. Verse 32 says, this is what makes the Holy Spirit happy. This is what makes Him rejoice over us. When we are kind to one another. When we are tender-hearted. When we are forgiving. When we forgive as God and Christ has forgiven us. Look at the first two verses of chapter 5. And then we're going to be done. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church, he has taken care of this for us. It's our heart's desire that the love of Christ, your leadership, it's our desire that you would embrace the truth of the Holy Spirit in you. You would patiently wait on Him as He walks you through this, sanctifying you, making you take on the image of His, of who He is. Patience, patience, patience. Psalm 40 says this, And He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet on a rock and He gave me a firm place to stand. It says that, but guess what it says before that? David says, I waited patiently on the Lord. Patience, patience, patience is demanded. And so, so the power of prayer over the last number of weeks has been extravagant in my life. It's been extravagant. I have, I have experienced it physically. I was just told that someone was woken up in the middle of the night to pray for me. And I am telling you, telling you, telling you, that prayer was answered in such spectacular ways as it comes to me standing before you and delivering the word. I love that. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to end with some prayer, some time of prayer. And here's what I'm asking. It's wonderful that in the connection book that you let us know how to be praying for you. And I want to celebrate your prayer requests are becoming so mature in the Lord. Yes, we want to be praying for our sick loved ones. But man, when you see the church's prayer requests start to transform and take on a spiritual focus, this lost person, 
this person is struggling with this. I want us to pray for because of this sin issue in their life. But here's the deal. I was asked a couple of weeks ago, why don't you have any altar calls? Well, we do at the end of the service. We don't have an altar, um, but we invite people forward to pray. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's an expression of humility that you would walk down the aisle and that you would pray. That you would make it clear you need to be prayed for. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for transparency. Transparency is gold. When you're able to confess your sins one to another, James says you will be healed. And I'm not concerned about the physical healing. I'm concerned about the spiritual healing. So as you come forward, I'm calling out small group leaders with your small group. If you choose to do it in your seats, amen. Let's pray together. If you choose to come forward, amen. Let's pray together. My only request is, what is that blank put off that you need to confess to someone and pray with? Let's get after it, church.